Uh, today was daf is hey in Betza. We are on Dalit Amud Bet. We are two or three lines up from the bottom of Dalit Amud Bet, if I am counting correctly. So we are, but today's daf is actually hey. So Itmar says as follows Shine Yamim Tovim Shal Rosh Hashanah, the two holiday days of Rosh Hashanah. So this is obviously very timely. You couldn't get a more timely uh, 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 daf than this. The two days of Rosh Hashanah are different than other days of Chag because even in Yerushalayim there were circumstances in which they would keep two days. Obviously today in Israel we keep two days of Rosh Hashanah um, and the basis for that we'll talk about a little bit later. But they had a different status because the Takana of having two days of Rosh Hashanah was different. Rashi says, Because the rabbis instituted uh, the two days of Rosh Hashanah, not the way that they instituted the others, that it was a day and then the following day was, uh, uh, was of a lesser status or only one of the days was really mandated and they weren't really sure which one, but that both of them were mandated rabbinically. Um, and therefore, it's considered like one long day. In other words, it wasn't that they said one of the days is the real day. We don't know which one, so we're keeping each one out of a safek, but rather that there was a deliberate uh, rabbinic rule that you had to have two days, and it's considered one extended long day. The Gemara is going to explain why that is, but therefore, if an egg is laid on the first day of Rosh Hashanah, the second day of Rosh Hashanah, even according to those that we saw earlier, they would say that if the egg is born on the first day, so by the second day, we can all already say the logic that if the first day was really weekday, because the second day is the real day, so that means that it was born on a weekday, and if the uh, and, and if the first day was really the real day, so then the second day is not really Yom Tov. It's really, just, uh, it's really just a weekday. So you should be able to eat the egg either way by the second day if it was late on the first day because you have a doubt there. But in Rosh Hashanah, we don't play that kind of game and say, well, yeah, the first day, the second day, uh, when it comes to Rosh Hashanah, we don't say that. We view both days as equally binding, even though we know that that's only Midir Rabbanan that they're binding, but they didn't treat it as a safek that only one of them is really the true day and we're just keeping it to be careful. They instituted it officially that you have to keep two days and therefore we consider it one long day and that's why if an egg is laid on the first day, you're not allowed to eat it on the second day. And for many other halachot also, the second day of Rosh Hashanah is treated more strictly than other Yamim Tovim. For example, the law, um, the halacha of not taking medicine on Shabbat and Yom Tov, generally speaking, doesn't apply to the second day of Yom Tov um, in the diaspora, but it does apply to the second day of Rosh Hashanah because we don't, dig, we don't downgrade the second day of Rosh Hashanah like we do other uh, second day holidays. In any case, and how do we know that? So what you have to realize about Rosh Hashanah, what makes it different from all other holidays is that all other holidays, the Rosh Chodesh is determined in advance of the holiday. So for instance, when it comes to Pesach, we determine Rosh Chodesh on the first of Nisan. If you live anywhere close to Yerushalayim, by the time Pesach rolls around, you've already heard which day was the correct day, first day of Nisan, because uh, it, takes two, it doesn't take two weeks 
um, for, for the news to spread throughout Eretz Yisrael. They send out messengers and they're able to spread the news within two weeks and everybody knows when Rosh Chodesh came out. But Rosh Hashanah is Rosh Chodesh. So meaning when you start, now think of the calendar like this. Every Jewish month has a minimum of 29 days. It could have 30 days. Now, if it has 29 days, then that means that the 30th day from the previous month becomes the first day of the new month. And if it has 30 days, then that means that the 31st day is the, uh, is the first day of the new month. So that's why, why the 30th day from the previous Rosh Chodesh is always going to be, um, is always going to be uh, uh, Rosh Chodesh. If it happens to be that the month was a 30-day month, then you also will keep the second day of Rosh Chodesh. That's going to be the real first day of the new month. In other words, Rosh Chodesh is the only case in which the second day we observe is actually the real day. When there's two days of Rosh Chodesh, actually we count from the second day, not from the first. Because the first day is just because it's the 30th day from the previous Rosh Chodesh, automatically we keep that as Rosh Chodesh. But it could be that only the 31st day is actually the first day of the new month. And that's why when you have a two-day Rosh Chodesh, actually you count the new month's dates from the second day, not from the first day. Whereas when it comes to Rosh Hashanah, we count the days of Tishrei from the first day, because the first day, quote-unquote, is the real day. Now, what's the relevance? So in those days on Rosh, let's say it's the 30th day of Elul, okay? The 30th day of Elul, you don't know, that's to, right? You don't know whether the 30th day of Elul is going to be Rosh Hashanah or it's just going to be the 30th day of Elul and it's going to turn out that Elul was a 30-day month and actually the 31st day will be the first day of Tishrei and will be Rosh Hashanah. So when the night of the 29th of, of Elul uh, comes, in other words, when the 29th of Elul is over and now it's the 30th of Elul, you have to keep that day as Rosh Hashanah in the times of the Beit HaMikdash because you have no idea if maybe witnesses are going to come the next morning and they're going to say, last night we saw the new moon and it is Rosh Hashanah today. So obviously everybody always had to keep the 30th day of Elul as if it were Rosh Hashanah because nobody knew for sure whether Edim would come during that day and announce that it was Rosh Hashanah. So everybody kept it. Now what would happen if Edim actually showed up on that day, which was the 30th day of Elul, and they said, yes, indeed, last night we saw the moon, and therefore this is really Rosh Chodesh, and it is Rosh Hashanah. So then at the end of that day, in the immediate environment of Yerushalayim, they would only have to keep one day of Rosh Hashanah because they had val- they validated, they affirmed that only the first day. But if no Edim came, so then what happened was they would keep that first day of Rosh Hashanah till the end and then they would have to also keep the following day because now since no Edim came on the 30th day, by default Rosh Chodesh gets pushed to the next day because it can't be more than 30 30 days from Rosh Chodesh to Rosh Chodesh, meaning only the 31st day after the previous Rosh Chodesh. That's the latest it could possibly be, the next Rosh Chodesh. So since on the 30th of Elul, no Edim came, automatically the 31st of Elul, so to speak, becomes Rosh Hashanah. So they would have two days. So in other words, there were two possible situations in the case of the Bet HaMikdash. Either witnesses would come on the 30th of Elul and declare that yes, indeed, it is Rosh Hashanah and therefore it's only a one-day Rosh Hashanah or nobody would come and then by default we would push it to the 31st. But meanwhile, we already kept the 30th day as Rosh Hashanah. Why? Because the 30th day was being kept as Rosh Hashanah because maybe witnesses will come. So to be careful, we had to keep it as the 30th day, uh, whether we liked it or not, that 30th day, whether we liked it or not. So what happened was that one year, they used to accept witnesses until the very last second of Rosh Hashanah. But what happened was that one year, it so happened that the witnesses came so late in the day 
of that first day of Rosh Hashanah to affirm that it was Rosh Hashanah. They came so late, that the Levi'im did not say the correct song for Rosh Hashanah. In other words, instead of saying the Tehillim for the afternoon Korban of Rosh Hashanah, they said the weekday one because they didn't have any validation from the Edim that it was in fact Rosh Hashanah. And, uh, and, and so therefore, they never did the Shir of uh, of uh, Rosh Hashanah for that year. And so, and the witnesses came too late, so by the time they declared that it was Rosh Hashanah, the Korbanot had already been done, and they weren't able to sing the Shir of Rosh Hashanah. There's a whole question about what about the Musaf? Did they bring the Musaf? Did they not bring the Musaf? There's a whole discussion about this in the Tosafot. How exactly did they deal with the Korban Musaf when they didn't know whether it was really Rosh Hashanah or not? Did they bring the Musaf? Did they not? Did they bring it after the uh, afternoon Korban? How did they work it? That's a question that, uh, that we can only theorize about. The Tosafot talks about it. But the issue is that then they made a takana that they would only accept edim until the time of the korban tamid after the time of the korban tamid of the afternoon whether edim came or not we don't care anymore so even if edim show up in the afternoon we're not going to accept them after let's say three or four o'clock we're not going to accept them anymore okay so that means that what you could have a circumstance where edim actually came on the quote-unquote 30th day of elul which we're treating as the first day of Rosh Hashanah. They actually showed up, the witnesses. But since they came past the deadline of 3 o'clock, 3.30, whatever it is, so therefore we don't accept their testimony. And because we don't accept, accept their testimony, we actually declare a second day of Rosh Hashanah because we don't accept their testimony. We won't, we won't allow it to be heard. So what happens is, not out of a safek really, because we know that they came to testify on that first day to say that it was Rosh Hashanah, but we deliberately create a second day of Rosh Hashanah because we made a deadline. So as not to mess up the service of the Beit HaMikdash, we made a deadline that we won't accept those uh, witnesses after a certain point. Once we've brought the Korban Tamid of the afternoon, we won't accept the witnesses anyway. And therefore, for sure, tomorrow's going to be Rosh Hashanah. And for sure, the shear will be set at the proper time. The song set at the proper time. So what that means is that you're creating a deliberate two-day Rosh Hashanah. So what that means is once you have a deliberate two-day Rosh Hashanah, it's not a safek anymore. It's not like, oh, one of the days is the real one. The other day isn't. So maybe the first day was Chol, and maybe the second day was Kodesh, or maybe the first day was Kodesh, and maybe the second day was Chol. There could be a situation where both of them effectively are equally binding and, uh, and, and deliberately created by a takana, and therefore the days of Rosh Hashanah are considered one long day. They're not considered two independent days that are in depth. That's the way that the Gemara understands it so far. That's the way that Rashi understands it. It's actually a really big discussion. If we have time, I'll touch upon some of the other uh, perspectives on it if we have time. But let's see. So now what happens is, so since you see that, there, that Rosh Hashanah is set up in a different way than other holidays, because it can be two days vadai, not safek, but vadai, mandated days, not just out of doubt. So therefore it's a different kind of a holiday. Now, we said like this, Amar Rabbah, But from the times of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai and on, you can eat an egg. Meaning to say, if an egg is laid on the first day of Rosh Hashanah, you could eat it on the second day. Why? Because once the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed, it's not, Because what was the whole reason why they didn't want to accept late testimony on the first day of Rosh Hashanah? Because it would mess everything up. Because we already finished the service of the first day. And now you're telling me that was the real Rosh Hashanah. There's no chance to do the service correctly. We're just not going to accept the testimony. We're going to push it off to tomorrow. But when you don't have the Beit HaMikdash anymore, you don't have a reason to do that anymore. 
So therefore, they went back to the original way of accepting testimony all the way to the end of the day. So it could be in the in the 11th hour, so to speak, you would find out that it really was Rosh Hashanah and there wasn't going to be a second day of Rosh Hashanah for that year. According to Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai's eventual takana, so Amar Abaye. What about Rav and Shmuel? Rav and Shmuel just said that even nowadays, an egg that is laid on the first day of Rosh Hashanah is, uh, is not allowed to be eaten on the second day of Rosh Hashanah. And the problem is that Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai obviously lived before the times of Rav and Shmuel, and he had already returned Rosh Hashanah to the original Takana, which was that it was a doubt what the right day was going to be. And we're keeping the two days out of doubt. And if we knew for sure that the first day was validated as the day of Rosh Hashanah, we wouldn't keep the second day, at least not where the Bedin was located, where people would be aware of it. They wouldn't have kept the second day. So how could Rav and Shmuel come along and say that they're considered one long day? How could you quote to me Rav and Shmuel as a contradiction to Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai? Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai is somebody from the times of the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash, way before Rav and Shmuel, greater authority than Rav and Shmuel, level of a Tana. And you're quoting me Rav and Shmuel? No, the problem is with Rav and Shmuel, that's not what we're asking. We're not asking that Rav and Shmuel are in a machloket with Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai. They're not on the same level. What we're asking is, how can Rav and Shmuel treat Rosh Hashanah, the two days, as one long day when you see that Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai didn't? He said, if you know for sure the first day is Rosh Hashanah, the witnesses came at the 11th hour, you can accept them and you cannot have a second day. So if you're keeping a second day, it's only out of doubt, not because of a takana. So what do we do with, so how can Rav and Shmuel say that the long, the two days of Rosh Hashanah are different than other days? So, the answer is that that's for us and that's for them. What does it mean that's for us and that's for them? Rashi says, In other words, if you're in Eretz Yisrael, where you could have only one day of Rosh Hashanah, hypothetically, according to Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai, then it would be okay. In other words, the way that Rashi interprets it is that for the people in the diaspora, nothing changed. Right? For the people in the diaspora, nothing changed. Because before, they were keeping two days of Rosh Hashanah. And that was a takanat chachamim of two days of Rosh Hashanah. Because even when they knew that the first day was the first day, was the real day, they still could not accept the witnesses in many cases. Probably in most cases, by the time witnesses got there. And therefore, they were keeping two days out of a takanat. So, and, and then you changed it back to, no, we're going to let the witnesses come to the last second, okay? But for the people in diaspora, that's not going to make a difference. They're going to keep two days no matter what, because they're not going to hear that news about whether witnesses came at the last minute or not. It's not going to get to them. So as far as the people outside of Israel are concerned, it's always going to be two days. And it always is going to be considered one long day. In Eretz Yisrael, maybe it changed. Because before, it was because of a takanat chachamim. And later it became because of the safek, because we don't know if the witnesses are going to show up or not. We don't know if they did show up and so on. And there's no way to let the word get out, even within Eretz Israel. The word's not going to spread if the witnesses did come, if they didn't come. So everyone's going to keep it out of doubt. So therefore, in Eretz Israel, it's out of doubt. Outside of Israel, it's going to be considered a takanat chachamim, and it's going to be one long day. That's the way that Rashi interprets it. Okay? Now, um, incidentally, there's a very interesting, uh, there's a very interesting machloket but among the Rishonim about Eretz Yisrael today in the keeping of Rosh Hashanah, which was between the Bala Ma'or, Rabbeinu Zerachei Halevi, the Bala Ma'or on one hand, and the, um, and the uh, everybody else pretty much. Rabbeinu Ephraim and Rabbeinu Zerachei on one hand, and everybody else. 
that the the Rif and all of the almost all the Rishonim said that we have to keep two days of Rosh Hashanah even in Eretz Yisrael because only in the place of the Bet Din did they sometimes keep only one day, but everywhere outside that they always kept two days and it's a two day holiday. But according to Rabbeinu Zohar and Rabbeinu Ephraim, uh, no, in Eretz Yisrael it was always based on whether you knew or not, whether you knew when the holiday was or not. And nowadays, since we know when the holiday is, that it's really the first day, we shouldn't have to keep two days of Rosh Hashanah either. So that's why they held that in Eretz Yisrael, you wouldn't have to keep two days of Rosh Hashanah. And in fact, they bring evidence that the early uh, people in Eretz Yisrael in the times of the Geonim were only keeping one day of Rosh Hashanah as well. Rabbeinu Zerachia brings that to show a proof that he is right, that you only have to keep one day. And the, other, and, and the Ramban says, no, what that shows you is actually that the people who were living there didn't know what they were doing doesn't show you that they were right. But either way, be, there, be that as it may, point is, it is a dispute how to treat the two days of Rosh Hashanah in Eretz Yisrael. Now, you know what Rav Yosef says? Even from the time of Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai's decree, still we treat Rosh Hashanah as one long day, the two days. And meaning even after we decided to go back to the original way, and to accept testimony to the very end of the first day. We still, when we keep two days, we treat it as one long day. Because since the original takana from the times of the, of the Bet HaMikdash was made by a Bedin of a superior status, uh, the, it's impossible for a later Bedin to come along and permit what was already prohibited. And so since, Rashi explains, since the Chachamim said in the times of the Bet HaMikdash that an egg that was laid on the first day would be prohibited on the second day because the two days of Rosh Hashanah are considered one long day, even though Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai came along later and said under certain circumstances you could cut the holiday short and have it as only one day because you could, ex- you could receive the witnesses even to the end of the day, he could not uproot the Takana that says that when there are two days of Rosh Hashanah it's treated as one long day with regard to eggs that are laid on the first day of Rosh Hashanah. So he couldn't change that. So even though he could change the procedure in terms of accepting testimony, he couldn't change the law regarding eggs. Okay? Now, where do I get the idea that once you have a takana, it can't be repealed without another official body of authoritative sages repealing it? How do I know that? He says, because... So it says that, uh, that when the, um, and, and I'm going to go with Tosafot's interpretation here because Rashi's interpretation, as the Tosafot explains and points out, is a very difficult interpretation. It's much smoother and simpler to read the way the Tosafot does. And what it means is that origi- the Torah tells you that as soon as, that Hashem has to tell the people to go back to their tents. In other words, Hashem has to tell the people to resume their uh, marital relationships with their wives. Okay, that's one thing. Uh, and the other thing is that when the yovel, when the um, when the horn of the shofar finishes blowing, people can go up on Har Sinai. Okay, now we're going to see that both of these things were things that we should have known would already be uh, permitted, and yet we need a specific instruction to permit them. Okay, so meaning to say the prohibition of going up on the mountain was only as long as the Shekhinah was there. So we shouldn't need to know that we need a blowing of the, of the shofar to tell, or the end of the blowing of the shofar to tell us that we can go back up on the mountain. As, as soon as the Shekhinah is gone, we should be able to go up. 
That's one thing. Similarly, since they only had to keep the prohibition of the three days of separating from their wives until the giving of the Torah, they shouldn't have to be told, now go back to resume relations with your wives. It should be that automatically they do that. And yet you see that in both cases, they have to receive an instruction to permit them to resume normal activity. So it shows you that you need you need another authoritative uh, permission to resume the way things were before. Okay, Vitanya, similarly we have a Braita, and the Gemara is going to put all these pieces together in a second. That it says, Kirum Vai, Haya Olevi Ushalai, Malachiom Echad de Cholzad, Vezoi Truma, Elad Minatsafon, Vakavad Minadarom, Lord Minamara, Vyodem Minamizach. So it's telling you that basically they had a thing called, we had the three years that you're not allowed to partake of the new fruits of a tree. We know that. We have a new tree giving fruit. For three years it's called Ola. The fourth year is called, you have to bring those fruits up to Yerushalay. Okay, it's Kodesh Ilulim Lashem. It says that fourth year it has to be brought up. It has to be brought and eaten in Yerushalayim the way that Maser Shani is eaten. And that's if you live within a day's travel from Yerushalayim. And it gives you the boundary. It says, uh, if it's Elat Minat Safon, the north, Vakravat Minat Darom, that's from the south. If you're to the west of Yerushalayim, Yerden, if you're to the east, and so on. In other words, you have, if you live within a day's journey of Yerushalayim, you should really bring these fruits and eat them in Yerushalayim. And not, uh, you should not... Um, uh, redeem them and bring the money. But you should instead eat them in Yerushalayim. And it says, What's the reason? Because we want to beautify Jerusalem with all the fruit that's going to come. People are going to bring from their vineyards, they're going to bring from their fruits from throughout Israel, they're going to bring them to Yerushalayim, it's going to look very beautiful. So therefore we want them to do that. Right? And so therefore, and you see that and still, Vitania we learned, that Rabbi Eliezer had uh, his, uh, he had fruits in Lod, on the eastern side of Lod, next to Kvartavi. He wanted to make it ownerless and give it to the, the poor people and let them take it up to Yerushalayim and take it because he didn't want to take it himself. Okay, he didn't want to take it himself. The student said to him, The rabbis already said that you don't have to do that. In other words, all you, need, you don't have to carry all the fruit up. You don't have to make it hefkir. You don't have to make it ownerless and give it away to the poor people. Let them bring it up to Yerushalayim. You can just redeem it and bring the money up. Okay? And Right? And who are, your, who are your friends who allowed you to do this? Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai. Basically the idea being that after the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash, the whole idea of bringing the fruits to Yerushalayim to beautify it didn't apply anymore. And therefore they didn't have that rule anymore. And even if you lived close to Yerushalayim, you didn't have to bring the fruits, you could bring the money. Okay, but what do you see from that? You see from that, In other words, what it shows you is that the only reason why, in other words, he could have made his own logic and said, well... What was the reason why you had to bring the fruits up to Yerushalayim to make it beautiful? And that doesn't apply anymore because there's no Beit HaMikdash anymore and now Yerushalayim is a ruin. Why do I have to beautify it? So therefore I should say that I could just redeem it and bring the money to fulfill the technical rule because beautifying Yerushalayim doesn't apply when it's in ruins. That was the, so he could have used that logic, but he didn't do that. He only was permitted to do it because Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai made an official vote of the Chachamim and permitted it and canceled out that original rule that you had to bring the fruits. Okay, now, so if that's the case, why do you need three examples? The example of being allowed to resume marital relations after uh, Matan Torah. The example of being allowed to go on to Har Sinai. And the example also of, uh, of being able to, go to, uh, to redeem the, 
the, uh, the fourth year produce and bring the money to Yerushalayim. So it says, the reason is, because my Vomer, what do you need all these cases for? Because it says in the Torah, you have to be prepared for three days and not approach a woman. And then it says, And that's right, so Lamali, why do you need to tell me that I can resume relations with the wife? In other words, you can't just assume that because the reasoning behind the original takana expired, therefore, I don't need to be told officially that I'm allowed to go and uh, resume relations with my wife. I need to be told it. Because you need minyan achelatiro. You need an authoritative pronouncement. Maybe you'll say that pasuk is not coming to tell you to, that you're permitted to be with your wife. It's actually coming to tell you the mitzvah that there's a commandment of ona of being with your wife, and it's not a matter of um, it's not it's not a, a matter of permission, but a matter of a commandment that Hashem is telling them the mitzvah of ona that they have to be with their wives. So that, but I'll give you another example. That's why you have Tashma Since we see that the animals weren't allowed to graze on Har Sinai only because the Shekhinah was resting there, so why did they need a signal? Once the Shekhinah departs, they should be able to go on the mountain. Why do they need a blow of a shofar to tell them? So you see from that that since Hashem told them don't go on the mountain, even though there was a reason behind it, and the reason expired, that doesn't allow them to go on the mountain until they have the signal. Okay. So that's why you need the case. You might have thought that that only applies to biblical commandments. In other words, commandments that come straight from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, if there's a commandment, it, it has to be formally canceled. You can't just decide that the reason expired. But when it comes to a rabbinic thing, maybe it's more lenient. You could decide that it expired. So therefore, what does it tell you? That's why we see that the, that they said to uh, the student said to Rabbi Eliezer, the reason you're allowed to redeem your produce and you don't have to physically bring it to Yerushalayim, even though you live close to Yerushalayim, is because the Chachamim got together and officially rescinded that requirement. But you can't do that on your own. So what's Rav Yosef's point? Rav Yosef said, this entire daf almost, the entire like, at least Amud word of Gemara was just Rav Yosef's proof, basically. He wants to say, any time there's a rule that needs to be rescinded, it needs to be formally rescinded. You can't just decide that it was canceled, it's not relevant anymore. And if that's the case, so then you, uh, that they didn't formally rescind the halakha betza, even though he changed the rule regarding receiving testimony. And he said, in the times of the Beit HaMikdash, they received testimony only up to the time of the Korban of the afternoon. I'm going to go back to the original way and receive testimony all the way until the, the end of the day. But he didn't say, and therefore an egg that is laid on the first day of Rosh Hashanah will be able to be consumed on the second day because even when we have two days, it's only out of doubt. He never said that. So therefore he wouldn't be able to apply it to the egg. Okay? So the Gemara says, Amalei Abaye, his student Abaye said to him, Atu betza b'minyan mi havai, betza be'edut talia milta, itzar edut, itzar betza. In a way, it's really kind of sad and anticlimactic that Rav Yosef built up this, this proof over an entire daf to show you 
that without an explicit rescinding of the decree about eggs on Rosh Hashanah, you should have to keep the rule that if an egg is laid on the first day, you can't eat it on the second day, even though they changed the rule about receiving testimony. Right? But Abaye goes and says, wait a second, you don't need to specifically rescind the rule of the egg. The rule of the egg is dependent on the rule of the testimony. Because when we had a rule that we had an, an arbitrary deadline, so to speak, of testimony, and even if we knew the first day was Rosh Hashanah because the Edim showed up, we would still say no and declare Rosh Hashanah on the second day and make two days on purpose. Back then, we could see why the two days when they were kept were considered one long day. And definitely if you were in the diaspora and you didn't know what went down in the Betin or anywhere outside the immediate environment of the Betin, you didn't know what went down there, your two days were one takana. But when Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai comes along and says, no, we're going to wait till the last minute. If we find out that Rosh Hashanah is today, even at five minutes before sunset, we're going to say it was today. True, everyone else in the world is going to be keeping it for two days because they don't know that. They're doing it out of doubt. So then it becomes just like every other holiday. It's not a deliberate creation of two days. It's a function of doubt. And if it's a function of doubt, that means that an egg that is laid on the first day could be eaten on the second day. Because only one of the days is really the day of Rosh Hashanah because it's all in doubt. That's the logic of Abaye. He's saying they're connected to each other. And so if one falls, the other falls. If you have a Rosh Hashanah that's artificially constructed to be two days, even in a case where you know it's only one, then you could call it Yom Ha'arichtat, one long day. But if you're basing it on safek, then it's not one long day. Each day is a safek. That's the idea of Abaye. Now, Rav Adab, Rav Shalman, Tarvay, Mibek Luchit, Av mitakanat Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai velach betzaswa. They also said like Rav Yosef, even after the time of Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai, that he changed the rule of Eidut, that he, he became lenient about the Eidut, and he would receive the testimony to the end of the first day, still we say, that an egg born on the first day of Rosh Hashanah cannot be eaten on the second. What's the reason? Because, They're not going to realize the Bet HaMikdash could be built tomorrow. And then what's going to happen? Everybody will say, last year, an egg that was laid on the first day of Rosh Hashanah, we ate it on the second day. This year, we should do the same. But they won't realize that when there's no Bet HaMikdash, the keeping of two days of Rosh Hashanah is just because of doubt. And since it's a doubt, we don't know when the witnesses come or going to come. We keep two days out of doubt, but only one of them is the real day. But in the times of the Bet HaMikdash, where they have an, an arbitrary limit that they say, if the witnesses come at by, after three, we're not even going to listen to them. Even if we know what the real day of Rosh Hashanah is, is going to be two days, that makes the whole thing one long day. And that means that Rosh Hashanah, wherever be, it's being observed for two days, is being observed as one long day. And therefore, an egg that's born on day one can't be eaten on day two. So we have to keep that consistent so people don't get confused in the times of the Bet HaMikdash. Right? Now, if that's true, we shouldn't follow Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai and receive testimony about Rosh Hashanah until the end of the day. Because maybe when the Bet HaMikdash is rebuilt, they'll do the same thing. And we'll get back into the original problem we had. That they'll accept testimony when it's too late to do the proper service for Rosh Hashanah. The answer with that is no. Well, first I was going to say, my time, what's the reason? Because Maybe they'll say the same thing. Didn't we always receive the testimony of witnesses on the first day of Rosh Hashanah, no matter how late they showed up? We should do the same thing when the Beit HaMikdash is rebuilt. 
So it says, no, hachiyashta, hatam edut misura lebedit, betza lakol misura. The difference is, what you do with an egg, that's what's happening in the chicken coop in the back of your house. That's not some national issue. The Bet Din that's in charge of Edut is going to realize that now that we have a service of the Bet HaMikdash again, we have to put a limit on when we're going to receive testimony for Rosh Hashanah. Because if we don't set up a, a rule, then we're going to have a craziness that we're going to be waiting till the last second and we're going to be waiting for witnesses to show up. They're going to show up at the last minute. We already did the Korban. We can't do the Shir now, but we also can't make tomorrow Rosh Hashanah anymore. And we lost the whole thing. So we have to make a limit. And that's what they did during the times of the Bet HaMikdash. They're going to realize that. You in the back of your house, when you had a, ch- a chicken that laid an egg on day one of Rosh Hashanah, might not be well versed in the nuances that before the Bet HaMikdash was rebuilt, you weren't allowed to eat it on the second day. And, uh, and I mean, you were, uh, you, uh, you were allowed to. And after the Bet HaMikdash is rebuilt, you're not allowed to. You're not, you're not going to realize that. But the people running the, the, the Edut HaChodesh, they're going to know what they need to do. Okay? Now the Gemara goes on one more time. Right, so he says, Ravam says a bigger chidush. He says, Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai, yes, he changed the rule and allowed them to receive the testimony of the witnesses, even if they came late in the day on the first day of Rosh Hashanah. That's true. But nobody said he changed the rule that if the witnesses came late, they have a second day of Rosh Hashanah. That's how Rashi interprets it. He says, what did Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai change? He said he changed that they started counting the calendar from the first day. In the times of the Bet HaMikdash, if the witnesses came late in the afternoon, they would not accept the testimony. They would push Rosh Hashanah to the second day and they would count the first day of Tishrei as the second day. Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai said, since we don't have a Bet HaMikdash, we don't have to do that. So even if the witnesses come late in the day, we will declare Rosh Chodesh late in the day. We'll say it's Rosh Hashanah now. We don't have to worry about missing the Bet HaMikdash service because it's not there. And, but still, we're going to keep the second day as a day of holiday. It's just that we're going to count the calendar from the first day. That was all that he changed. That's how Rashi interprets it. And therefore what? He didn't actually change the idea that if the witnesses come late in the afternoon, there are two days of Rosh Hashanah. He didn't change that. He just changed that instead of counting from the second one, they count from the first one. And therefore, so therefore, and Ravah said that the law follows Rav in these matters, in these cases that we saw before, that in each one of those situations, uh, we, we're following the halacha according to Rav. Now what is the, what was the point? And the point is that Rosh Hashanah, and this is where we get back to what I had mentioned earlier, that Rosh Hashanah is a, uh, is a unique situation because Rosh Chodesh is on the holiday. So the, nowadays that we know for sure the calendar, everybody knows the calendar for sure. So the Rosh Hashanah in Eretz Yisrael is a problem. Why is it two days in Eretz Yisrael? That's why the Bala Ma'or said that it shouldn't really be any different. Than, uh, than, than anywhere else, uh, you know, than any of the other holidays, because we know what day is Rosh Hashanah, we should keep one day of Rosh Hashanah in Eretz Yisrael. We shouldn't have to keep two days. The only thing is, even in Eretz Yisrael, in the times of the Beit HaMikdash, and when they used to accept testimony to sanctify the Rosh Hashanah, they kept two days in all of Eretz Yisrael. Only close to the Beit Din they kept one day, because they knew the news when the, when the Edim came. 
Everyone else always kept two days. So the, uh, the question is, does the fact, in other words, since we know that the practice always was for everybody except the people in the immediate environment of the Bedin was always to keep two days. So even now that we know when the first day is, we should continue keeping two days in Eretz Israel everywhere in, the, in Eretz Israel. Or no, the Bala Mahors and Rabbeinu Ephraim say no. Just like with all other holidays, once we know the real day, we just keep the real day. We could say the same thing about Rosh Hashanah, that now that we're not involved in um, a, a dut anymore, there's no more testimony involved in establishing the holiday, we should be able to keep only one day in Eretz Yisrael. That is the, uh, that's the position of Rabbi uh, Zerachah, very interesting. Now, but what's the issue? According to, so Rav was the one who said that an egg that is, Rav is the one that said, when it comes to the two days of Yom Tov, if an egg is laid on the first day, then it is permitted on the second day. Okay? Uh, when it comes to Rosh Hashanah, an egg that is, that is laid on the first day, um, you, are, uh, you are not allowed to eat on the second day. And when it comes to a Shabbat and Yom Tov next to each other, an egg that is laid on one day cannot be eaten on the following day when Shabbat and Yom Tov are next to each other. Those were the three halachot of Rav. In all cases, we follow him. So two of them are the Chumrah. When Yom Tov and Shabbat are next to each other, we follow Rav against Rabbi Yochanan, which is not normally the procedure. Usually Rabbi Yochanan goes, you know, overrides Rav. But here we follow Rav and we say that when Shabbat and Yom Tov are next to each other, an egg that is laid on one, on day one, cannot be eaten on day two. We say with Rosh Hashanah, egg that is laid on day one cannot be eaten on day two. And we say with Rav that an egg that is laid on day one of a regular holiday in Chutzaretz, like Sukkot, first day of Sukkot, could be used on second day of Sukkot. So when these three halachot were following Rav in all of them, and, um, and the, the fascinating matter here is the, uh, the whole question of what in Rosh Hashanah changed and what didn't change from the perspective of everybody in the outside, from the perspective of everybody in, in, outside of Eretz Yisrael, nothing changed. It was always two days. So therefore, they're going to keep it always those two days as one long day. That's the logic behind it. Even if in the immediate environment of the Bet Din, something about that changed, it didn't change for us. And, um, you know, for those who lived outside anyway. But and there's a very interesting uh, question here uh, about... Um, there's, there, there are a couple of interesting, like I mentioned before, Rashi has a very unusual interpretation of what the drasha is about Har Sinai. Tosafot talks about it on Amud Bet, Hey Amud Bet. It's very complicated and involved. Um, but didn't want to go into it because it takes us totally afield. There's, a, there's, also a, uh, there's also a discussion of the way that we explain this whole Gemara is based on Rashi. That Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai, even when he decided to accept testimony till the end of the day, um, still insisted that you keep two days of the holiday when the witnesses came late, and, but counted the days of Tishrei from the first day, that that was the Chidush Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai. Not everybody agrees with that. Tosafot has a different interpretation of this Gemara, and so anyone who's interested should take a look at how that plays out and the difficulties that are raised on Rashi's interpretation. But what we gave today was the interpretation of Rashi. Everyone have a wonderful day, and Bezvat Hashem, we will have a shiur tomorrow, we'll figure out the timing.